everyone to a conversation with NCAA President Mark Emmert. I'm Andy Katz. Mark, the name, image, and likeness conversation really has been going on for quite some time over the past decade. It is now in place in some short-term emergency legislation in addition to obviously a select number of states that passed their own legislation. As we wait for permanent legislation, whether that's within the NCAA structure or federally from Congress, I want to dive a little bit deeper into our new reality here within the NCAA for student athletes. How can the NCAA really take advantage of this new world and help student athletes? Well, first of all, good to be with you again, Andy, as always. Uh, I think your question is a really important one because now most people today are focused on the, the near-term questions around NIL and who's going to get a deal and who's not. And that's, that's fun and it's exciting to see. And I think we're already seeing some really, really uh, engaging, creative ways that student athletes are, are monetizing NIL. And that's, and that's a great thing. That's what we wanted. But the bigger question is, what does this mean in a broader sense? How can the NCA engage with, with student athletes in new and different ways? It, it's always been the case that college sports provided a, a great opportunity for students first to play their sport you know after high school and into college and and then of course supporting them academically and and providing financial aid and a variety of other supports as that grew through the 50s and and then for the past decade or so we've been really focused on how do we give everything we can that's tethered to education to our student athletes and support what they uh, what they need to be successful and and I think now we've got a new, a new opportunity here where we can say at the national level, the conference level, the campus level, how can we help you also advance this component of your career? How can we say, all right, look, you're, you're a student athlete. You may want to be a professional athlete. You may not. You want to go become an accountant or a teacher or a sports show host. Whatever it is, how do we then work even harder to provide you with new and better opportunities that advance whatever it is that you're looking for out of this college athletic experience and your collegiate experience? And that's what NIL does for us. So I, I thought you brought up a great point here is that there's a lot of different camps, if you will, within the student athlete population. There are those that, of course, you know, they're coming to college to try to be pros at a certain level. There are others that are doing this regardless of division one, two, or three, because they've done it most of their childhood, they enjoy it, and it's a way maybe to get a scholarship to get into an institution. And then there's another group that are somewhere in the middle and say, well, you know what? Now I can benefit during my college years and maybe make some money, maybe do something that you know is off of my performance that I might not be able to do three, four years as I go and choose a different profession. So I'm really interested kind of in that middle group. At, at this juncture, how do you help those people, regardless of sport, regardless of division, that now want to maximize their time in college, whether they're a gymnast, a field hockey player, men's basketball, hockey, you name it, and, and they may not be pro athletes, but they want to maximize this time in their lives. Yeah, I, I think that this moment uh, allows us, in some ways, it, it, it's forcing us in a good way to, to think about our relationships with those athletes in somewhat fresh ways. 
but it, it's always been the case that we've recognized that there's a very small number of student athletes that are engaged in college sports because that's the best route for them to become a professional. And that's what they want. That's their aspiration. And some of them don't know if they're that good, but they can develop and grow in college. And being a college athlete, of course, is where most of the pros emerge in, in so many sports these days. And that's a really good thing. And, and we ought to we ought to own that and say, okay, this, this young man, this young woman, they're here. They, they want to get an education for sure. But, you know, their, their goal is also to go off and be a professional. That middle crowd that you're talking about, they want to, they want to do everything they can as an athlete, be a, be a real student at the same time. But they're, maybe they got a toe in being an athlete, uh, you know, think maybe, maybe I'm going to make it in the minor leagues as a baseball player, or maybe I'll get a chance to go play in Europe or maybe get a shot at the NBA or whatever. But at, we need to allow them to have as much flexibility as we can. As we look at our rules, and you've seen this over the past handful of years, we've been trying to allow students more opportunities to dabble in professional sport and not lose their, lose their uh, professional, excuse me, their, their collegiate af, uh, eligibility. We, we want it to continue to expand that. I think that's a place we really need to be looking. For the, for the student who's there, it's a serious athlete. They're getting a lot of attention on campus. Um, they don't know whether they want to stay in sport or move into some other uh, professional field. We need, to, we need to use things like NIL and the curricular flexibility that we can provide and, and probably more flexibility around how and when they finish their, their degree to, to let them experiment, let them try new entrepreneurial ideas, let them try on some different some different professional options and make that a lot more flexible than we've than we historically have been. I, I think this is a moment where through the schools changing rules, we need to add a lot more flexibility, a lot more responsiveness. And, and that'll that'll really deal with those kids in the middle that are trying to decide what do I want to do here? How can I uh, monetize my NLI in, in fun ways and, and maybe, maybe get to play at the professional level, but probably not. You know, since we last spoke when this, uh, took hold on July 1st, uh, one thing that I've certainly noticed, I'm not alone here, is that this may end up being something that benefits more of that population I'm talking about, that student athlete population, um, male, female, it doesn't matter, division doesn't matter, sport doesn't matter, across all, when there, I think the initial narrative was, oh, this is for football, this is for men's basketball, maybe the occasional, you know, women's basketball player or gym, but no, we're seeing this is across the board that if you have something marketable, and that is key here, whether it's your talent on the field of play or the court of play or something else that you do, you know, then you can maybe benefit regardless of what you play. What have you noticed in the last couple of weeks as this is all starting to unfold? Yeah, well, the same thing. And, and I think that's really fun to, to watch as students figure out what those opportunities are and how they can use their particular skills or interests or personality to advance, uh, whether it's on social media or in some other fashion, you know, their, their personal brand, if you will. Schools are rushing into this space to help, you know, students take advantage of it, understand it, do it in a way that's, that's um, useful and productive. And I, I think what it's shown is uh, uh, an adage that uh, that I've always had for about 10 years now, and, and we've been working on with a, a lot of other people in the association who agree, a lot of presidents take this approach to it is, 
our rules around what student athletes can do, college athletes ought not to have any, anything constraining them uh, that's different than a regular student. They ought to be able to do anything a regular student could, be, could do unless there's some really, really compelling reason to say, no, no, we have a rule that has to allow this or that because that's at the core of maintaining it some kind of competitive um, field for, for competition. But, but it's got to be a high bar. You know, unless there's a high bar that says, uh, if, if we allow student athletes to do, to do this, we can't have fair competitions. We can't have, have um, um, a, a national championship work then we can put a rule in place. But otherwise, we, we ought to let them be as flexible as possible. And with this new flexibility, along with the advent of social media and TikTok and everything else that's out there, those things have just coincided really nicely in the, the past few years here. Uh, all of a sudden, we're seeing this flourishing of creativity. And I think you're right, by the way. Obviously, the big stars, the, the mega stars that are on their way to the NBA or the NFL or um, Major League Baseball or whatever, they're, they're going to they're gonna have a big, a big social media following. They'll do well in this. But uh, the exciting part is the young man, the young woman that's got some musical talent or some literary talent or they're, they're a good stand-up comedian or whatever they have that they can promote uh, through NIL. I think that's going to be really, really fun to see and it uh, already is. So to your point about, you know, having the student athlete have those same opportunities. I mean, one aspect that I think years ago was an issue that now I, I feel like the, the barriers are down or so, for example, if you were a, you know, a violinist and you are in school X's orchestra, you could potentially go home uh, and, you know, be a violin teacher, but say, you know what, I'm a member of this school's orchestra. Now I'm getting you to be my student convert, you know, now if you wanted to have a soccer camp uh, and the, students know that you play at school X uh, so that they will want to work with you, that can happen. How much do you think that can benefit the student athlete that had been able to benefit you know, other students? Yeah, I think, I think enormously. And, and a number of the states in their laws envisioned that sort of opportunity. Some didn't. Um, and, and so we still have a patchwork out there. That's why we still badly need a federal law to create uh, a, a sensible playing field, if you will, for NIL participation. Uh, but where, where students can do that, where they can go start a camp, where they can build a, their own brand around a camp, a sports camp, or even a music camp, they might be musicians. They ought to, they ought to be able to do that now with, with confidence, knowing that they can promote that that brand, that skill that they have, doing videos or any of those other things, that's going to be be terrific. And again, it's it's not just going to be the stars that are doing that, and not just in the in the major sports. You know, if you're a if you're a fencer, if you're a collegiate fencer, uh, there's a there's a lot of people out there that don't understand fencing. Here we are going into the Olympics, and all of a sudden people will pay attention to sports they don't they don't watch normally. Well, some young uh, college athlete out there can be figuring out, look, I can, I can do commentary online here about, about, about Olympic fencing. And uh, who knows, that might be something that's very, very popular. And, and that's where the energy and creativity of young people is gonna be, gonna be really, really impressive, I think. So Mark, as student athletes get back to campus in August and September, and we're already seeing this a little bit in the summer where some schools are bringing in sort of almost like NIL consultants 
to meet with their teams. How can the national office really be a leader in this space as the student athletes are coming back to campus? Well, we need to, on a national scale, we need to explore whatever options are available to allow students to um, you know, engage in NIL activities as an NCAA athlete. What does that look like? What does that mean? How do they, how do they get noticed for that? You know, again, when we're looking at students that are playing in divisions one, two, or three, but not necessarily in the high profile sports, being an NCAA athlete's a big thing. It's a, it's a, a, a badge of, of uh, not just notoriety, but of, of acceptance as a very skilled, highly skilled athlete uh, anywhere. You know, it's so many millions of kids aspire to be an NCAA athlete at any of those three divisions, but only, you know, only a, a handful every year wind up actually being able to do it. And so those 100,000 or so students that come into the system, they're, they're filtered out of oh, literally a million or two. And, and, and that gives them a, a chance to be distinctive. And, and we are talking right now in the national office about how can we provide a, a support base for those athletes as well, just for them, just so they can, they can take advantage of it. And I think there'll be a lot of things that we can do there. The second area is we, we really do need to get some continuity of the rules across, across the country. Uh, just this morning, I was with a bunch of students in a meeting and they all wanted to know, well, what are the rules? I, I, I've read this, I've read that. I don't know what the rules are at my school or that school. And unfortunately, we have to say, well, you got to go talk to the to the athletic department because the rules in your state are different than the rules over here. And you got student athletes that are that are looking at other states and other schools. They now have to sort through what does that really mean there versus here. Um, that's it's just clumsy, and it should be as easy as possible. And having a national standard will really really help. And that's why we're working with Congress. Well, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, I was talking to a Division Three athlete two weeks ago, and I, I do think this could be the great equalizer because so often, you know, legislation is hard to to have something uniform between divisions one, two, and three, state school, private school, and this could be something that levels everything uh, because a D three athlete could clearly, you know, monetize as easily as a D one, depending upon that person's skill set. Uh, I want to shift to amateurism because we're on the eve of the Olympics. Um, obviously the amateur model has changed dramatically really with the dream team, if you will, back in the early nineties with the Olympics. Um, the definition of amateurism, like where is it right now, especially as we think in line with the Olympics and the NCAA? Yeah, it's, it's a, obviously an important question that's even been at the heart of some of the lawsuits and debates that have gone on over the, over the decades, you know, since first Supreme Court case back in the mid 80s around, around these questions. So before we get there, by the way, I, I do have to brag a little bit. So 80%, just so you have this factoid, 80% of the Americans who participate in the Olympics in Tokyo uh, this summer oh, yeah. will either be now or were NCAA athletes. The NCAA schools, our universities are the training ground for our Olympians. I had a follow-up on that, but go ahead. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, we can talk about it more because we should be really, really proud of that. That's that's where they come from. As they, they come from college sports teams. Um, but, the, you know, to me, the, the whole bedrock of what college sports is about and being a college athlete is all about has been pretty consistent, actually, at its core for 120 years. And that is, first and foremost, college sports is about students playing other students. 
the, the rules were created that clear back then. Uh, and one of the reasons that the association was created way back then is that schools were hiring guys to come and play football for them, or they were drafting people. They would draft faculty members, which is a scary thought <laughs> to, to go play on a, on a sports team. And, it, it, you know, they, they didn't have any guidelines and it was uh, grossly unfair, grossly inappropriate. And, and by the way, really, really dangerous. And so uh, one of the first rules is this has got to be about students playing other students. That's the core of it. The second core is that they're not paid to do so. They're not paid professionals. They're not being hired by the, the school to, uh, to play football or play field hockey. It doesn't matter. Uh, they, they chose that school because they were recruited by that school. They wanted to go to that school. They wanted to play for that coach. We don't have a draft. We don't, you know, the, the Olympics is fundamentally different because you don't choose your country. You're an American, so you play for America. I mean, you can migrate and, and go somewhere else and claim claim citizenship, but for the most part, you're in a, on the American team because you're an American. You can be playing in the NBA, but you can still play for France because you're a French native. And that's great and that's cool, but they don't have recruitment issues. They don't have a draft. Uh, we don't have a draft. If you have employees, you have to have a draft. No draft. You pick your school. The school doesn't hire you. You play as a student and you're a real legitimate student. Those are the core principles of all of this. And, and that serves us really, really well. There's other pieces of that, you know, you can debate and discuss, but at the, at the bottom of it, it's, it's that. Students playing students, they're doing it as part of their role as a student and, and they're a legitimate student at that school and they, uh, they aren't employees uh, that are going forth and playing for the team. And now, of course, they can take advantage of the name, image, and likeness. All right, two yeah, quick yeah. things. One, to follow up on my point earlier, three-fourths of the American Olympic roster in those individual sports came from universities. Um, so with that being said, without, because we don't have that traditional structure that you used to see in the Eastern Bloc where it was government-run sports, the feeder system is and continues to be college sports into the Olympics. So what is your message to athletic directors, presidents, when some of these sports are on the chopping block and yet these are the sports, swimming, tennis, you know, golf, track and field that feed our Olympic team? Yeah, and, and in some areas, it's pretty dire, frankly, Andy. If you look at men's gymnastics, men's volleyball, water polo, a few other sports, the, the total number of universities that are playing those sports in intercollegiate athletics is is small and shrinking and those are the places where all of the you know all the great teams come from all the, all of our olympic teams come from and, and so we we need to in fact we already are right now work with the usoc uh the the head of the usoc and i've been talking a lot about this uh she put together a working group that included athletic directors from across uh, our ecosystem to work with some of her folks and the NGBs that oversee these sports. We need to find a new way of interacting with them. We need to find some new flexibility in the way we approach some of these, these sports. Uh, we, we need to help all of our schools be able to have sustainable, economically sustainable approaches to it. If you're, if you're a, one of the very few uh, men's gymnastics programs in your conference, we got to be able to say, yeah, we're going to have different rules for holding championships and the way we think about this. And, and the more flexibility we can build in on our rules and the more collaboration we can get with the NGOs, the, excuse me, the NGOs, the NGBs, 
that oversee those sports uh, the better. And I, I think one of the other areas that we've got to look at is we we have historically in this this pregnant moment right now, if you'll allow me that, it is one where we can rethink a whole lot of the old assumptions. One of those old assumptions is we got to treat all of the sports the same. We got to do pretty much everything across the board. All the rules have to apply exactly the same with some tweaks here and there. And I think that's not appropriate right now. We, we need to be more flexible about the ways we, that we look at them. Same thing with the students. We, we were saying earlier, you know, that some student athletes want to be a professional. We need to, we need to honor that and respect it and help them with that chosen profession if that's what they want to do. Help them see that they're going to need an education to go along with that. Help them shape a curriculum that feeds into it and supports it. Well, if, if you're looking at the Olympic sports, or those, those sports that are, are on the chopping block often, how do we create a model for those schools that makes it sustainable, that, that allows them to keep producing world-class Olympians, even though they're only gonna be on TV once every four years, that's not a way to run a collegiate model, but it, we, we need a way to make it work with the Olympics because these, these kids uh, and their, their kids, they deserve an opportunity to to train and play at the collegiate level and also go on and represent our nation. And a lot, by the way, a lot of Olympians from other countries uh, learn their, their sport uh, with us. And, and that's fine too. So we, we see them out there rowing against us and playing softball against us. And it's all right, because you can say, oh, you know, she's from that school and she's from that school and that's fine. But we, we do need to be much more flexible around, around that whole area. Yeah, there's no question international students really do dominate at times, but are certainly spotted in a lot of those sports. All right, last thing, Mark, appreciate your time. Um, since we last spoke, just if there is an update, there may not be just a, uh, where we stand on any kind of permanent legislation or congressional legislation on NIL uh, at this juncture. Well, first of all, uh, we're still working with Congress. Uh, there's a number of members of the Senate that are still very committed to this. You probably noticed that the, the Senate and the House are very, very busy right now with infrastructure and a whole array of very, very important issues for the nation. Uh, but nonetheless, the uh, appropriate committees are engaged and talking. And I just this morning was in conversation with some of them. Uh, so I, I still am cautiously optimistic we can get a bill through Congress because we need it and they recognize it and, and most people want to get something done there. Uh, I, I think that the, the permanent NCAA rules now will be forthcoming as we see how this all unfolds. We're learning a lot every day and every week as um, we see more of these deals get done and seeing how it's really affecting students in real time. And I think that's going to educate us a lot and help us shape rules that will serve the students the best. So that, uh, that's still all on the front burner. Uh, we're still working on it. Don't have a hard timeline, but but hopefully before uh, this Congress is over. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Mark, just to conclude, I mean, this is a great example of a new era because almost you almost never have a case where you've got potential legislation where you can actually have some data uh, to see how it's working. So by the time you get to the convention in January, you will have had, you know, a six month time frame to see, OK, how did it all shake out? before anyone votes, you know, sort of officially, potentially in January. And, and that doesn't always happen uh, because you don't always have temporary legislation to then before you have permanent legislation. So yeah. a lot to unpack. 
certainly over the next six months as well as we see how this all shakes out. But it is a new era and a new world here within the NCAA. Mark, as always, appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully you can enjoy uh, the remaining sort of five or six weeks of the summer. You too, Andy. Thanks so much.